Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are in uh, a series, we're working through the book of Titus. And it's a really short letter that Paul wrote to Titus. And it is jam-packed full of information for us about really what the church should look like, like what should happen in the local community so that the church is actually the kind of place where people are transformed by uh, following Jesus. And not only transformed, but they actually start to live their lives in such a way and change in such a way that they actually start to make following Jesus really compelling to the people that are outside of that body of believers. They start to watch the way those people behave and the way they treat each other and the way they do life together, the way they serve each other and look out for each other. And there's something attractive about that family, that local body of believers that people on the outside are like, you know, I hang out with a lot of people and they don't treat each other the way you guys treat each other. They don't serve the way you serve. They don't sacrifice the way you sacrifice. And I'm not sure what's behind it, but I'm kind of interested to the point that it would appeal to people on a place like Crete. And so we've been going through this series and we've been unpacking this whole letter. In particular, we talked about, uh, for example, a few weeks ago, the importance of local elders, the kind of men that Paul was telling Titus to look out for, uh, guys with a really good reputation, like they walk the walk and talk the talk, both in their home life, in their work life, in their family and friends environment, like they had a reputation, sort of a 360-degree reputation in all aspects of their life where they were really God-fearing, God-following, God-honoring guys. And, and Paul talked to Titus about some criteria and things to look for for those guys. And then we spent uh, time a, few, a couple weeks back talking about the importance of discipleship and how uh, really Paul gives this framework for Titus. And, and Paul's speaking to Titus, and he's in giving Titus instructions to go to this entire island of Crete, to all these local bodies of believers. And so one of the things Paul kind of frames up for Titus is that this idea that as you're going to these local churches and putting things in order and finding the right kind of men to be elders, there is a sense that everybody should be involved in the local church. Like, like Paul paints a picture for Titus that is a nobody on the bench mentality. Nobody spectates in the church. Everybody is actively involved in discipling or being discipled. And the model that Paul puts forward for Titus is this idea where he tells Titus, you need to actually call out the older men and women and empower them to invest in the younger men and women. And then he calls out the younger crew and he gives them some explicit instructions about being available and being teachable and being uh, moldable and putting the, putting the effort in to uh, be easily discipled by someone older than you, right? It's one thing for someone to say, hey, I want to invest in you. It's a whole nother thing to be available to be invested in. And so he maps out that whole kind of model for discipleship in the church. And then last week, we really zeroed in on the idea that, that Paul pointed out to Titus that, that Christ did everything he did so that, yes, 
all people could have salvation available to them, that all people could have their sins forgiven. But it was even bigger than that. He actually not only did what he did so that people could receive salvation, but he did what he did so that people could be made into a people of his own. Like, like Jesus had it in mind that not only would there be God's grace to provide salvation for people, but, but God's grace would also help empower people to become something to become a very own people of God. The kind of people that, that if they live their life the way Jesus has modeled, if they live the, their life according to the law, according to the instructions of God, that they start to actually think a lot like Jesus and act a lot like Jesus and walk a lot like Jesus and love a lot like Jesus to the point that when people see some of these people, they actually start to get a glimpse of Jesus. They actually start to see what it's like to know and follow Jesus through the very people that God has helped form into his own body. We talked about last week the importance of embracing that process, right? Like, like we love the idea of salvation, but we also love the idea of like getting to the good part, like like we're rocking and rolling. When somebody sees me, they see Jesus. We forget that there's that really big middle part, the whole journey from where we are to the when somebody sees me, they see Jesus like all the time, right? I, I joke about it like this, like God's desire for us is to get caught red-handed being a Christian. Whenever, wherever somebody stumbles upon us, we're to get caught red-handed being a Christian, but in between, there's this big process, this journey, and it's where we are actually changed by Christ. And we talked about that last week, but I wanted to point out the way that Peter talks about it, because this middle part, this like embracing the journey, hanging in there, that part is the hard part. It's where everybody gives up. Everybody quits. If anybody's ever going to quit, it's always along the way when things get hard. In fact, to help you realize, like the apostles understood, this was going to be hard. Peter uses an analogy that just sounds so delightful. He says the middle part, the following Jesus, sticking with him through the hard times when things are getting shaped and changed in you. He goes, you know what it's like? It's like the process where gold is purified where you actually take raw gold and you turn the heat up on it so much that it starts to melt and boil. I always wanted to be boiled, Lord. <laughs> How? And through that process, when the heat is turned up, the impurities start to burn off. And in the end, there's this pure gold. And the idea of pure gold sounds awesome. Like it's perfect, it's pure, it's incredibly valuable. Like, but that middle part, staying in the pot, that's the tough stuff. That's the tough stuff. And, and, and Peter's trying to help us understand, like if you'll hang in there, there's this great joy on the other end of it if you'll hang in there. If you'll stick with it and don't give up. I, I want to make sure that you guys really grasp this and don't just take my word for it. Let's look exactly at what Peter said. It's going to be in your notes, but it'll be up on the screens too. It says, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 6, says, Be truly glad. 
There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, right? Like, like accepting the invitation to follow Jesus, accepting God's grace, receiving salvation. It's like, woohoo, awesome, right? I just won the lottery, but now I have to like actually walk it out. And he says that part, that walking it out, he starts off that phrase with like, like hang in there. And, and I want you to know right up front, it's going to be so awesome if you will just stick with this. And you're like, cool, what's the this? The this is getting burned up like gold to get your junk melted out. He's like, if you'll stick with it, if you'll hang in there and don't give up, don't cave when the going gets tough, when, when things get hot, when stuff's turned up in your life and you're like, man, I'm feeling like there's some parts of me that God really wants to like pull off and I'm really fond of them. And it's kind of socks letting them go. He's like, but if you'll hang in there, there's gonna be great glory. Not only is there wonderful joy for you, but it's going to bring praise and glory to our Father in heaven. Like people will look at you later and they will see the new refined you and they're going to go, man, that's amazing. God must be doing something and God must be real because I hung out with you in high school. (laughs) And I know who you are now. And so like, I kind of can't help but believe God's been doing a mighty work. Because I knew you along the way. And so today, we're going to kind of zero in on the next little chunk in Titus. And we're going to be talking about something that's this phrase that shows up over and over and over throughout Titus. It also shows up a lot throughout Scripture. It's this idea that I've talked about last week um, that, that pointed us to. It's this idea of doing good deeds. Like, what in the world does a Christian actually do? Right? We know what we're supposed to sort of believe, and we know what God does, and we know that we're supposed to sit in the pot, don't give up, don't cave, let God keep refining us. But then when in terms of like actually waking up tomorrow, what do we actually do? And it seems like the kind of things we do are pretty important. I just want to rattle off a few examples. Titus 2.14, he says that he gave his life, Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. So, so like there's something Jesus had in mind that we were going to be transformed into the kind of people that are sold out, doing good stuff all the time. Uh, then Titus 3.1, he says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. Uh, they should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Again, like there's this, we're supposed to be on the ready to do good. Titus 3.8 says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. 3.14, the very closing of Paul's letter to Titus. He wraps it all up with a bow, and he says, our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, and then they won't be unproductive. Like, what we do seems to be pretty important, and that it's good seems to be pretty important. What's interesting is this, with all this emphasis on doing good, 
and, uh, and to be the kind of people that are at the ready to do this good stuff, where's the list? Where's the checklist? Where's Titus chapter 4? Here's the list of all the good things you're supposed to do so that I know what to do tomorrow. Instead, what we see here in Titus and a lot of other places in Scripture is we see the importance of some other things first. We see the importance of what we learn, who we listen to, and what we think. What we learn, who we listen to, and what we think. And these things are the things that Scripture really unpacks for us. We get a lot more instruction about why these things matter and how we should walk them out. And they're the precursors to the doing good deeds type of things. They all happen before we get to the good deeds. I want to start by just kind of unpacking the importance of what we learn. Um, I want you to look at, in this letter to Titus, how Paul frames this up for Titus in regards to what, why is it important to focus on a certain type of teaching, or what specific teaching should you focus on? Titus 3.3. He says, once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Ever been to middle school? (laughs) But, there's a big but, but I mean, seriously, like, this is what Paul is essentially saying in this chunk right here. He's sort of teeing this up. He's saying to Titus, it's sort of like, Paul, a mentor to Titus, who is going to be a mentor to a whole bunch of churches, Paul's reminding him, like, listen, Titus, you need to remember this. There was a time when we were a mess. And he's saying we, like me and all of the other leaders in the church, the people that are not just in the church that have gone ahead of you, but the people that are actually leading churches that are offering instruction to you as you go to try and lead other churches. He's like, I just want to remind you, there was a time when we were a mess, We were rebellious, we were disobedient, we weren't walking with God, our lives were not characterized by godliness. In fact, there was just lots of evil and wickedness, there was lust, like he goes, you know what, it wasn't even hard to get us off track, we were so addicted to sex and wine and anything that would make us feel good, like we just turned on a dime, it was one mess after another, we constantly wanted what the other person had, and in the end, like, you you know what people would probably have said about us, is that we basically just hated each other, but, but, This is what he says. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight, and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do you catch what Paul's saying in there? Do you see what he's saying? He's pointing out, this is a trustworthy saying. In other words, he's like, Titus, listen, I'm about to tell you something you can take to the bank. 
This is something you can count on. This is something you can lean on, rely on. Like, in fact, he uses it so strong. It's not just like, this is a really good saying. He says, I want you to insist on this teaching. I want you to insist. Paul's saying like this, this teaching right here, this is the core curriculum. All of those churches you're going to go visit, all of the elders you're going to talk to, the baton you're going to pass of leadership to the local churches, the thing that you have to insist on is that they build their teaching on this. And I just want to make sure that we don't miss it. And so I just paraphrased it in kind of just plain English for us. This is the, this is the teaching. Jesus showed us how much he loves us when he saves you. Not because you were so awesome or how amazing your resume was, but simply because he's so merciful. He wiped your slate clean and forgave all your sins and mistakes, and he gave you a completely brand new start. Truly, born again into a perfect family. You have a father in heaven who loves you and will do anything for you. God's spirit to guide you and help you day by day. And God's son to show you how to live in this new family. Now here's the cool part. While we adjust to living in this new family and learn to leave behind our old unloving ways, uh, Jesus has gone ahead to heaven to prepare a place for you your very own room in his father's house. That's it. That's what Paul is telling Titus. Listen, if you have, if you have any hope uh, of the people in these churches, these local gatherings of believers, if you have any hope of this actually taking root and this actually sticking and them being the kind of people that can persevere and hang in there and withstand the trials ahead, this has to be the core curriculum. This has to be the fundamentals that you go over and over and over and over and over until they know it by heart and they know the next word that's going to come out of your mouth before you even get it out of your mouth. They're so in lockstep with who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what's available to them because of that sacrifice. You might be saying, well, a lot of people are going to do a lot of good things. Like people even do nice things. How do you know? How do we know that, like, maybe are they really rooted in this teaching? How do we know if they're doing the right kind of things, if the good things are the good things that God has in store? And, and I would just say, to be honest, a lot of us probably have a pretty good idea of what other people's motivation is. Like when it's really selfish, it's usually really obvious when the reason behind the why they're doing the nice thing is really about them, it sort of sticks out. Now, here's the other cool thing I want to just throw out here. Like, there's this cool thing we can do. It's really relational. We can just say, hey, that was really cool what you just did. I was curious. Like, what motivated you to do that? We could actually ask. One of the cool things about this, the power of asking what's motivating somebody to do good things is it gives us an opportunity to point back to the core curriculum, 
So if somebody's like, if they're like, well, you know what? Like, honestly, like I'm, I'm learning how good God has been to me and God's sacrificed and given so much to me. I'm trying to like really put that into practice in my life. And so then we can go, whoa, you are right on track with like the fundamental core curriculum. Like that's a home run. Like, like you actually just got an A on your homework. Like you are living out the most important stuff that, that Paul told Titus to learn about. Like, what a cool thing you're doing. And we can just affirm and encourage. Somebody else might be more honest with us and just say, like, I don't know, I really like doing nice stuff for people because it makes me feel good. And they'll just be real. It makes me feel good. And you're like, oh, that's cool. I don't know if you realize that. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. That's really interesting because you doing nice things for people and being kind or sacrificing to someone or blessing somebody else or helping somebody else, whatever they did, like, you doing that, I don't know if you know that, but you're actually, like, your actions are actually syncing up with what Paul said is some of the most important stuff a believer could know. And we can just point them back to the core curriculum. Like, you didn't even know you were doing the homework right. But you are. Oh, hey, that's pretty cool. I did something right today. I don't know if you guys hear that very often, but it's sort of nice. All right, let's move on to the next big area that affects our deeds, who we listen to. Who we listen to is always going to have a big impact on what we do for better or worse, right? Every parent knows this really well. You care about who your kids hang out with. We care about who our kids hang out with. You care about who your friends hang out with when you're trying to help them follow Jesus and they're in with the wrong crowd. It's like, and there's a passage in scripture that a lot of people are really familiar with where Paul talked to the church in Corinth and he says some things to them that's sort of a catchphrase. That, that Christians really like to hang on to, like the kind of people you hang out with can corrupt you, and we'll look at it exactly. But I just wanted to put forth this idea that the, there was people in Corinth, when Paul was writing this stuff to them, there was people in Corinth that I think actually invented FOMO. They cornered the market on it before any of you guys even knew what it was. They were all in, because you know what they were teaching? They were teaching, there's no afterlife, there's no heaven. There's no resurrection. This life is all there is. And so you know what that did? It changed the way they wanted to live this life. They wanted to live this life to the fullest. They didn't want to miss out on anything because this is, if this is all there is, there's no heaven, there's no resurrection, then you might as well embrace everything, try everything, taste everything, experience everything, do everything because heaven forbid you die with a regret because this is all there is. But Paul famously responds, and he's giving instruction to believers who are living amongst those Corinthians that are living with the fear of missing out, lifestyle. And Paul says to the believers, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, don't be fooled by those who say such things because bad company corrupts good character. It's a lesson that gets repeated over and over and over and over and over throughout Scripture. It's why parents love it so much, because it's just easy to grab, right? And it makes so much sense. Proverbs 13, 20, uh, walk with the wise, become wise. Associate with fools, get in trouble. Proverbs 22, 24, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you'll learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Psalm 1, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, right? Who you listen to, 
who you associate with, who you hang out with is going to have a huge impact on what you do, the kind of good deeds. So if you want to be the kind of people that God's called to be ready to do good deeds, to, to be his very own people, to do good things, then are we hanging out with God's people? Are we hanging out with people that are talking about God's truth and God's character? And so I just think that it's wise for us to do a little friendventory sometimes. Uh, in your notes, I put some questions for you to do like a little bit of uh, on your own at home. Um, and this is for everybody, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, it's always wise to periodically pause and do a little friendventory. Who am I spending time with? Who am I associating with? Who's speaking into my life? Who do I know all of their opinions? Who do I know all of their favorites? Like you ask yourselves these questions because it helps you sort of go, oh, I didn't realize how much that person is speaking into me when you start to recognize how much you know about what they think about things. Now you run that through the filter of like, is that person a Jesus person? Does that person look a lot like Jesus, sound a lot like Jesus? And so that's a good exercise to go through on your own. There's, and there's one last one, right? The last one is this. What we think has a huge impact on what we do. Not rocket science, right? What we think has a huge impact on what we do. And one of the passages that always comes to mind for Christians when we talk about what does a Christian think about is is this passage where Paul, again, is talking to the church in Corinth, and he uses this phrase in this passage to take your thoughts captive. And believers for uh, a long time uh, have often looked at this passage, and we grab a hold of that one little sentence. We grab a hold of that one little sentence, and we try to Uh, apply it to ourselves as if Paul was actually giving you instruction, like literally to you, right? Saying, hey, uh, you know, Pete, hey, Julie, you need to actually take your own thoughts captive. And I don't know how many, everybody in here has heard that. And I, I want us to like zoom out a little bit because this idea of what we think about matters a lot, and it will have a huge impact on what we do is really important. But how we negotiate dealing with our thoughts is really important. And I don't want to send you out with like, hey, here's the strategy. It's like, here's how to use a hammer, but I purposely teach you the wrong way. You're going to have a hard time putting nails in. And so I want to make sure that when we look at this passage, it's like giving you the hammer and teaching you how to use it as opposed to like frustrating you. So let's zoom out a little bit more and look at this. And I want to look at it in the NLT translation because in the NLT, it really says it uh, well what Paul was meeting. In verse four, he says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You got to not miss this. This is war language, right? Weapons, strongholds, rebellion. Paul's using war language. He's saying to these Corinthian believers, 
that are living there. He's saying, listen, this is war, and here's how we fight, right? We're not using worldly weapons. This isn't about one philosopher debating with another philosopher about human ideas. He says, we're fighting a different kind of war, and I bring different weapons to the table, not worldly weapons. He's like, I'm fighting with prayer and fasting and truth and relationship and love. And and then he goes on to say, like, he's essentially saying to him, they're using... They're using these weapons trying to destroy our faith. They're trying to puff up themselves with these arguments about who God is and what God isn't and that God's not real and that Jesus isn't real. And they try to present all this logic and they use their human wisdom and they try to throw things on the table and then they sit back and they're pretty proud of themselves like, yeah, have you ever heard of science? Right? I got you now. And Paul says to them, he says, He says, man, I'm going to demolish their arguments. They fight with worldly wisdom. They bring human ideas. I don't bring human ideas to the table. He says, I bring power. I bring the power of God to the table. And they want to debate with me. I'm not coming to argue with them the way they want to argue. I'm going to present them with who God really is and watch their arguments crumble. And he says, and you know what I'm going to do with it then? I'm going to show them, show them who God is, watch those frail arguments fall apart, and then I'm going to go by item by item, thought by thought with them in relationship, and I'm going to help take their thoughts captive. I'm going to go, that thing that you've been believing, it's actually not true. And then I'm going to help take that thought captive, like, like a thing that has been inflicting harm on them. I'm going to rescue them from that wrong thought, take it captive, and then I'm going to start teaching them how to obey Christ. And so for us, as we think about like why it's so important that what we think about really matters, it's going to affect a lot about how we do. And we look at this idea of taking our thoughts captive. Paul didn't present the idea. The teaching isn't that you deal with your own stuff. If we want to look at this and sort of go like, how would I rightly apply this? How do I ne- negotiate like taking these thoughts captive? A better approach. And I know it's a, a little nuanced, but I think it's important. Because if we do it the way that people traditionally understand this passage, then we are in the driver's seat. I'm thinking the wrong thought. It's my job to get a hold of it somehow and magically take it captive. It's my job to deal with it. I'm only the only one empowered in the situation when we think about it that way. And I think what Paul is trying to teach and explain is that, is that he came alongside and took those thoughts captive. It'd be a little bit better for us, I think, to go, man, as I come about things that I think that I shouldn't be thinking about, and we all do. We all have stuff pop in our head that we should not be thinking about, that we know is not in line with who God is, with who God's character, what God's character is like, what the truth in scripture is. And we have those thoughts and we come to grips with like, that was an ugly one. Where did that come from? Now, what do we do with it? Now we go, God, please come and take that thought captive like you. Come grab that, take it from me destroy it, put it as far as the east is from the west. I got no power to not think that again. I'm dumb. In five minutes, I'm going to think the same thing. You all do too. But it's God that changes. It's God that transforms. It's God that helps us. We're not trying to do this all on our own. 
And so we ask God, God, you help take those thoughts captive, put them at bay. And one day, we're going to find ourselves in a really cool spot where we can say the thing, same thing that Paul says, Romans 15, 18. He says, essentially, he says, I, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way that I worked among them. I mean, Paul sort of gets to this spot in life where he basically says something like, listen, I'm not going to talk about anything. Like, I know enough. I've been down this road enough to know. I don't want to talk to anybody about anything except what I know God has done. Like, that's all, that's all I got to offer that's worth talking about is what God has done. And if, if we'll negotiate that, if we'll wrestle with this stuff, really lean in and go like, what am I being taught? Who am I listening to? What am I thinking about? And we'll wrestle with those things. Then what we're going to find is that we're going to lead ourselves up to a spot where there's going to be a day where we go see our father in heaven and he's going to review our life and he's going to look at the way we lived and the way we hung in there and let the ugly parts get burned off. We wrestled with what we were learning. We wrestled with who was speaking to us. We made adjustments about what we were thinking and asked for his help. It's going to lead to a really cool conversation with your father in heaven where he's going to look at you in the eye And he's going to say, well done. Well done. Way to live. Way to live. That's a destination worth shooting for. Having that conversation with our Father in heaven helps us stay in the pot when things are tough, helps us work through all those things that we need to work through. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.